Welcome back, imposters, to another episode of the You're Not Qualified podcast. My name is Courtney Heater, and I am your host of this portal to combating imposter syndrome, if you will. So as mentioned numerous times before, I live in Washington. One thing Washington State is known for is its incredible climate, wildlife, and topography. We have a temperate rainforest out on the Olympic Peninsula. We have desert. We have five volcanoes, estuaries and rivers. We have whales and the largest octopuses in the world. And needless to say, of course, the people here are an active bunch because, well, you can really explore a new place every weekend, maybe even every day, and never cover it all in Washington State in a lifetime. Tell me something, how come anytime there's a hike into the heart of darkness, you sign up? It's really an incredible place to live. To go along with that, people here really like their outdoor gear. And a favorite water vessel, that's a household name, at least in the Pacific Northwest I know, is Hydroflask. And today I am stoked to say I'm chatting with the inventor and founder of Hydroflask, a billion dollar outdoor brand. His name is Travis Rosbach. He is an incredible human. This is such a fun conversation. And of course, he doesn't have a degree in business. He doesn't have a degree at all. And in fact, he came from poverty as a child. But as you will see, he is very qualified in his own right to hold this amazing accomplishment that he does. And he'll have many more to come. And I'm so excited to know him now. But let's get you involved too. Let's get to know him a little bit better. Let's go. Terrific. Today, I am so honored to chat with the inventor and founder of Hydroflask, Travis Rossback. Thank you, Travis, so much for joining me on the You're Not Qualified podcast, and welcome. Thank you, Courtney. It's good to be here. Thank you for asking me. What a pleasure. I actually have a Hydroflask right here with me. It's <laughs> I had to have oh, it out yeah. for this interview, but... I have a fun little tiny side story about this hydroflask. It's the first one that I bought and I bought it for my first mountaineering trip up Mount Adams in the snow. And I was like, oh, this is going to be perfect because it keeps hot things hot. So I could put like whatever I make, but I also forgot that they're so heavy. So it added a lot to my pack. So I don't know if I would recommend them for mountaineering for more than a day. However, it does really keep things hot. So that was nice. I was like, I'll, I, maybe the weight trade-off is fine because it keeps things so warm. I was afraid you were going to say you burnt your mouth when you finally did go to take a, a sip. <laughs> I, we used to have so many people who would jokingly, lovingly complain that they would put hot tea in the morning at four o'clock. They'd go up to Bachelor, go ski all day, four o'clock in the afternoon. Boy, they can't wait to have some Holy cow, Holy that's really fucking cow. hot tea. And um, and wow, that really does work. <laughs> yeah, it really so. works. I think, yeah, I was definitely cautious about it. Maybe that's why. And then have yeah, the snow yeah. right there. <laughs> mm, mm, <laughs> Maybe like a little, a little dollop of relief. snow in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just a dollop will do. Yeah. yeah, a dollop will do. A dollop of snow. 
<laughs> so I like to start with getting down to a little bit of the nitty gritty of just being not qualified because the you're not qualified podcast is all about highlighting people doing just amazing things that they don't have traditional qualifications or traditional backgrounds for to hell with qualifications, just do whatever you want. You are a business founder. You also founded a uh, group Tumulo, 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 uh, yeah, Tumulo. Yeah. And you don't have a business degree and you just told me that you didn't even finish college, but you did go for aeronautics. It looks like you are traditionally not qualified in my book. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I would concur. I don't know that I'm qualified for much really, but that hasn't really ever stopped me either. I, I think if anything, it gives me more interest or I, I know that I have to work harder to overcome not being qualified. And then I'll be darned if I don't become more qualified than the qualified. And there's air quits around there are, were, is. <laughs> yeah, so. absolutely. Did you enjoy studying aeronautics? Why didn't you? Yeah, so the only reason I really started, yeah, because on my deal, it, it always says on my CV, I guess, it says Utah Valley is Utah Valley State for aeronautical. I can't, I don't know what it says, something about being an airplane pilot. I only started just so that I could get student aid. I had no idea. It, it sort of just came to me. It just hit me. You are a pilot. Okay, I'm a pilot. So I started calling flight schools and they're like, it's $180,000 and it's going to take you five years and this and this and that and the other. And I was like, I have $2 to my name. And I wanted to fly, this was April of 2001. I wanted to be in the September 2001 training program for the airlines in St. Croix, Seaborne Airlines. And so I only had a few months. I didn't have five years. I wanted to do it quickly. Yeah, I can fly. So I started talking to the flight schools and they're like, 180 grand is about what it's gonna cost. I was like, that's stupid. I don't have that much money. I just need to fly airplanes. And so finally, like, I think the third or fourth one said, just get some student financial aid. I'm like, I don't even know what that means. And they're like, you have to go to college. Oh, okay. And they said, well, you have to go to college anyway to go fly for the airlines. As I, I'm not interested in, in, in the college. I just want to fly for the airlines. I want to fly seaplanes micro specifically. St. Croix, St. Thomas, and then uh, Puerto Rico with Seaborne Airlines. And that's what I want to do. Like, mm -hmm. You got to get a degree. So I started... Uh, down the degree path all online and then I did actually go to a math class I think three days in a row and it was just awful and by the third day I, I knew I couldn't take any more of it and the instructor teacher professor whatever he's called guy comes over and he's look I don't know that this is working for any of us I said yeah no you're right and it was the very lowest low low I don't low know if this is working class. for any of us oh yeah. man <laughs> And it was the lowest of the low math classes that they offered. It was like, if you can't make it in this math class, you're not going to make it anywhere, dude. If it isn't the old math haunts us all in one way or another, oh, oldest trick in the book. And um, I said, yeah, thanks. I concur. I, I don't want to be here either. So I stopped doing that and I ended up flying for the airlines. And so once I was flying for the airlines, I was like, fuck it. What do I need a degree for? And then Utah Valley reached out to me. They're like, Travis, will you please graduate so that you can finish this and we can say you did this? Yeah. 
I'm not interested in that. I already flew for the airlines. That's what I was doing that for in the first place. Yeah. I don't understand also why you have to go to school for that. Can't they just literally on the job training? Is that too risky? Yeah. See, that's what I thought too. I just need to like, who do I pay? It's like 225 bucks. I go fill out a form and I'm a pilot. Isn't that how it works? Yeah. Get like flight hours. Have It's kind of like a driver's test where you have to have your parents come with you. Maybe not your parents, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Somebody vouched for you. So yeah, Yeah. who knows how to fly? You know, that's what I thought also, but but now it turned out to be a, a very expensive endeavor and a lot of tests and a lot of work it took. Um, well, we had September 11, which happened, which that really put a damper on aviation wise also, but it took, I think maybe a year and a half before I finally got to the airlines, two years. I need to check my logbook, but I, I got to the airlines pretty darn quick regardless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man, it's not as easy as like the early 80s, late 70s, because I know like my grandpa had a plane and he didn't have a license and he would fly it. For... Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I really love those stories of those old time guys that were just like, yeah, I'm flying my airplane. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. And he made some mistakes. Like one time he landed on a lake that wasn't fully frozen over and it went in, but he also made really good split time decisions and he would just move it back out of the water and not continue to land. It would have gone under, but things are different now. People are a little yeah. bit more into like qualifications. Yeah. Yeah. 9-11 really, I think, screwed things up. And then I think even just during COVID, I think, like the term I keep hearing is snowflakes. Oh, there's all these snowflakes. And it's like, okay, yeah, I appreciate that. That's a good term for these for this new generation kind of <laughs> yeah. Whole other topic. yeah. It really is. That's funny. We all are we all think we're very special. Everybody gets a participation trophy. That's what it is. It, yeah, right. Yeah. 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 That's just not how the real world works. And yeah. it's frustrating for the rest of us who did not get those participation trophies, who actually earned the trophy or didn't get one at all. And to see the kids out there and millennials and, you know, nothing wrong with millennials. It's just, yeah, I hope you guys, you know, can kind of toughen up a little bit because the real world is not a soft, easy place out there. So, yeah, I feel like you do have to learn that on your own. Being a millennial, it's, I do appreciate getting told no. And I be like, I appreciate getting told that I need to work on something. But then again, I have a podcast about qualifications not mattering. So, I mean, I don't know what end of the spectrum I'm on here, but uh, no, I totally get that. And we do need to harden up a little bit. That's some good, tough love, Travis. I understand. (laughs) Um, I'm here for. (laughs) Yeah. So you don't have a degree MBA. Do you think that's absolutely not necessary? Do you think that would have helped you in your business ventures? I, I have mixed emotions about it, and I try not to be derogatory. I try not to put anything down. I do believe that MBAs are phenomenal courses from some schools. Some are absolutely fucking bullshit. Mm-hmm. Excuse my language. That's okay. But they are. They really are just to take your cash and get you through and put you out on the other side after they've taken your money. Some of the schools I've given, I give a lot of talks these days to entrepreneurial courses and classes and MBA programs and the such. Some of them are awesome. You get to learn the terminology, you get to learn historical references and, and case studies. Yeah, an MBA would not have been good for me. 
because mm-hmm. I don't know that I would be as confident to go out and do all that I've done had I had in the back of my mind, that can't happen because I know that I read that one story that the guy couldn't do it that way. So that won't work. I didn't know what would work or I still don't know what's going to work or not going to work, but at least I don't have an outside bias telling me what will or will not work. So in that aspect, I don't think that they're great, but at the same time, I never had a mentor. I never had business classes. I never had any of that. I read Brian Tracy, Zig Ziglar, Dale Carnegie, the old classic business books, sales books, negotiation books. I go to the libraries and get tapes, cassette tapes back in the olden days on any specific topic I wanted to learn about at that micro-specific juncture. If I knew I was going into big negotiation, I'd just go get a tape on negotiation. I'd study Mm -hmm. up and I'd walk Mm -hmm. in and fucking nail it or not. But at least I'd learn and I'd go on to the next one and act accordingly. Mm -hmm. So yeah, research what you need, put it in practice, and then learn from the real world application of it. That sounds like a tried and true method if I've ever heard one. You know that episodic reminder of transferable skills? I think that this goes right along up there with transferable skills, and that is ad hoc learning what you need to know. And Travis is talking about this right now, but I literally just Googled free Harvard classes online and I'm scrolling through and there are so many options for classes that you can take that can get you to the next step for what you want to learn. And it's free, guys. So there's introduction to game development. You can learn R coding. There's religion, conflict, and peace. So say, even going back to the author episode with Mackenzie, say you want to learn more about something to write about it, or it would be really helpful if one of your characters knew something deeper, something very deep in religion, and taking a class on it would only help. So you can apply it to many different ways that you would want to use it. It's malleable and it's it's a great idea. Just learn as you go, determine what you need to know, what skills you need to learn, and go out and learn it. Resources are abundant. I think as a business owner, you really should know a little about a lot. It's good to know about Pantone colors and printing and marketing and PR and copy and everything. Like there's so many subcategories of business and it's really good to have a, like a, there's a a word here that that those college kids would probably know. I call it like a 20,000 foot overview, 10,000 foot overview Mm -hmm. of a top. You're less likely to get swindled or hustled or pay for something employee that isn't doing the job right or freelancer who's maybe trying to take you. So I think it's good to know a little bit about a lot, but definitely I found I don't need to have a degree in marketing in order to go out and do marketing. I just need to do marketing and study marketing, read the books. Nowadays we've got YouTube we can watch and oh, yeah. and learn. And then, but then actually do, you know, that's the other part of it is doing instead of just learning. There's a point at which YouTube will not teach you guerrilla warfare in business. You have to actually go out and do it, but it's good to learn it prior to going out. So at least you know what you're getting yourself into. In that vein, then when you were 
on the path to discovering Hydroflask. From the website, it was a realization that plastic is pretty much awful. We need a sustainable material for water bottles and more access to readily available clean water. So is that the idea behind Hydroflask? And then how did you learn to launch it? It, it, that is the premise. Absolutely. I, I grew up um, watching the, the reruns of Jacques Cousteau. And just, I think Jacques was a very, Captain Cousteau was a very big influence on my life. Little history lesson, just in case you don't know who Jacques Cousteau is. So he is a French naval officer, explorer, conservationist, filmmaker, scientist, photographer, author, researcher, an incredibly accomplished man. He studied the sea and all forms of life in water, and he co-developed the aqua lung and pioneered marine conservation. He lived from 1910 to 1997, so he passed away just before the 2000s. He was a very accomplished man, and we probably know a lot about conservation because of him and the modern underwater diving and the evolution of that. Also, side note, did you guys donate to Wikipedia? I think the donate thing is down, but when it comes back up in a year, you should donate to Wikipedia. It's a great source. And I remember him talking about how, you know, how if we don't clean up our act, we're in trouble. And Mm -hmm. this was early, early 80s. And then fast forward to when I was 14, which I was born in 78. So that's what, 90 something. I was down in the U.S. Virgin Islands getting my open water scuba certification. And so I started scuba diving at 14, became a dive master and instructor at 18, 19, boat captain around 20. And so I got to watch what was happening in our front yard, literally off of the North Shore of St. Croix, Cane Bay at Cane Bay Dive Shop and watching the corals bleach, the corals die, watching the oh lionfish come in and learning about just all of this. And then moving out to Hawaii, we actually lived in a house on the beach. And the first week that the garbage would wash up, it was actually fun, dare I say, to go out and clean up the beach. I like It felt good to be doing beach cleanup. And then I like it quickly overwhelmed our garbage can and we had to start paying hundreds of dollars a month for extra garbage pickup. And it was just completely overwhelming. It was like trash. If this is just our house and and we'd walk eight or 10 houses, but there was so much garbage and the vast majority was plastic, you know, combs, flip-flops, water bottles, of course, bottle caps was a big one and eradicating as much of that as possible was always a goal Mm -hmm. but it wasn't necessarily like it it was there was a chicken and the egg although it's been said that the chicken has to come first you can't have an egg without the proteins from the chicken so that's not a great analogy but I haven't come up with it I haven't heard a better one Mm -hmm. but it was like okay, I'm thirsty. I need a water bottle. There's nobody else making water bottles right now that are any good. And so I tried a couple that people were making and those weren't sufficient. I didn't like that. I wanted a bottle that was better. And it, so it was kind of like a, like a win-win situation where it was like water bottle, save the planet. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. We were surfing just about every day in the afternoons 
And I bought a couple like other brand water bottles and, and one of them still in business. The other one crashed and burned in a tremendous fireball way, which was karmic. But anyway, they would, I would, I'd fill them up with water and then we'd go out surfing and come back and the water was too hot to drink. And so we'd have to dump out mm. the water and try to go up to the drinking fountain and get water. And that always tastes awful. And I have a stigma against drinking out of drinking fountains, even if it is out of my own bottle, it just doesn't taste. And so my main thing was like, I want to put in water that I can drink and I want to be able to drink it whenever I want. I want to drink it five hours in the sun. I want to drink it five hours in the ice and snow up at Bachelor. And, and, and I want to be able to drink it where it's not frozen or it's not so hot that I spit it out and it tastes awful. Yeah. How did you pitch Hydroflask? What was that conversation like? To the customers? To the customers and to actually establish it as a sellable product. I, I think the first, the first way that we really started selling it was at the Portland Saturday market. And it was super hot that weekend that we happened to be there. It was well over, which for Portland was sweltering. It was like 93 degrees and humid mm-hmm. and just nasty. And I put ice in it at five o'clock on Friday night and put some duct tape on it and wrote Friday, five o'clock. So Saturday morning, when people would walk by the booth, I would just physically push the bottle into their space. They'd take it from me, look at it and see the ice in it. And they're like, what is this? How is this possible? It's like an <laughs> ice wizard. cooler. Yeah, it, it, it was. It was like, what? Like, how did you do it? It was magic. Pardon me. It's very rare to see real magic. Wow. And so that kind of got people thinking about, wait a second, I've never seen this before. This isn't supposed to be. And they'd buy one and then they'd take it home. And then throughout that week, their spouse or their family members would steal it from them and start using it. And everybody just fell in love with it. They come back the next weekend and buy five or 10 more. And it was like, okay, yeah, this is probably going to work. Yeah, <laughs> I would say so. And uh, yeah, yeah, farmer's market is such a good way to test that because that you have that really in-person interaction. Most people aren't in a hurry right. and you could just right. talk. Yeah. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. That I, I found that the trade shows were also good, but the trade shows were mainly buyers, but getting out on the streets. The other one we did here in Bend was the Munch and Music, which I think was on like Thursdays. We'd pay a number, $400 or whatever the number was. We'd, we'd get a booth. It probably wasn't 400. It's probably a lot less than that, but we would, I hope it was less than that. We'd buy a, we'd rent a booth for a Thursday, a three or four hours and sell the bottles. And that was really good because we got a lot of feedback, what colors people wanted, what features they wanted, how things, how they liked the lid, how they liked the powder coating, how they liked the laser engraving, just all of that feedback that we would get firsthand real world, you know, knowledge of. Mm -hmm. And then by the time we got to the trade shows and the buyers would come up, we could got to the point where we could answer their questions before they'd even ask them. So that was always really cool. I, I always feel, have felt like there's only a, finite amount of types of people on this planet and 
once you know those groups of people or those subcategories of human, once you understand what makes them tick, well, it's a hell of a lot easier to communicate with them and sell Mm -hmm. them because you know what they're looking for even before they ask or even before they think it. So if I can answer their questions before they even think about it, but it's something that they would have asked, then I'm, I'm just that much closer to getting their money from them. And then the follow-up to that is giving them a product that they just fucking love. And oh, if yeah. they love it, then I did, we, then it was an even exchange. We did well. They're going to tell their friends and family and loved ones, and they're going to help propagate and, and, and elongate the company for us. Word of mouth is the best kind of marketing. Yeah. So much cheaper. It is so much cheaper. It's only profit. I read a piece in Bulletin and you mentioned that you don't accept limits. And this conversation made me think of that, that you just mentioned. And that's a big factor to your success. So you don't set the limits for people even not being interested. Like you could figure out their specific piece that might make them interested in your product. Do you think that is how other people should operate? Other people should definitely develop that mindset. It's just don't accept limits. I think that don't accept limits is is absolutely one that people should whether adopt or just tattoo on their forearm. Mm -hmm. Because the the type of people who set limits typically like to set limits for other people. And that's their own insecurities. Mm -hmm. Just because I've never climbed Mount Everest, nobody should climb Mount Everest, alone you because I've never done it. Why would anybody else? So that's bullshit. Like mm-hmm. that doesn't, to me, I don't, I really don't care what other people have or have not accomplished. That doesn't really pertain to myself. However, having said that, to contradict myself, if somebody else has done something, then there's zero probability that I cannot do that. If I set out to do what somebody else has done, I'm going to go ahead and do that. So yeah. And, and then also, again, back to, to circle around to having a viable product that it was with good intentions, mm-hmm. like that really helped. One time when I was in Hawaii for 33 days, I tried to sell luxury pre-owned vehicles and I was horrible at it because I knew that these cars had their flaws. And mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not going to sell that Ferrari, sell the Ferrari, you'll make thousands of dollars. I don't want the money. And, and I can't fake that Ferrari being a good Ferrari because I know that the muffler's bad or whatever it was. So I only lasted 33 days selling stuff that I didn't like to sell. But if I'm selling something that I'm, I believe in and that I'm passionate in, then yeah, there's no limit to that. Everybody could benefit from being hydrated. So that was the very easy sell for me. Mm-hmm. But 33 mm-hmm. days, that to me means that you really gave it a good shot. You probably came home some days and were like understanding maybe what you could do better the next day. Is that kind of what it was or were you just sticking it out to stick it out? 30 days I was supposed to get insurance. Oh. And and then 30 days the guy was like, "Oh no, I didn't say 30 days. I said 90 days." I was like, "Yeah, no, you said 30." And uh, so it 31 days, I brought in my contract and showed him where it said 30 days. And then he's, oh, okay, I'll get back to you. 32 days, I asked him again. And he was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get back to you. And then at 33 days, he had no answer. So I was like, I'm uh, out. Peace. 
I think that was the last time I ever worked for anybody else. And we went on to start Oahu Signs and Screen Printing the very next week because we needed the money and it was time to do something else besides sell luxury pre-owned exotic vehicles. Vehicles don't have a good resale value anyways. I feel like water bottles do definitely better. Yeah. Yeah. And the guy, yeah, he told me right up front, he's like, you don't want to work for me. And then why did you poach? He poached me. I was at another company doing business. I was a business broker for a minute and we were in the same building. And so he was like, you need to come work for me. I'm like, okay. And it was not a good idea. At least you learn in 33 days. <laughs> that was <Yeah>. it. <laughs> not too much of your life <laughs> yeah. spent there. <laughs> yeah. I just been 90 waiting, you know, because oh, he reneged on it. I, I was like, yeah, no, that's not. Hell no. Yeah. You sold Hydroflask in 2012? I don't know time. It was either 12 or 13. I'm okay. not 100% sure. I'd have to check the log books. Yeah. Would you do anything differently if you were to do it all over again through the development and everything for owning and running Hydroflask? I can't really think of anything I would have done differently. No. Like I wanted a Sprinter, but that was after Sprinters had already come. That was before Sprinters had even come out. But yeah, I can't really think of anything that I would have done any differently. We were growing at 600% a quarter, which it's like, whoa, hold the phone. It it reminded me of flying Learjets where you just hold on and you're just going straight up and you're like, oh, yeah, you're in there for the ride at that point. Yeah. For the ride. Jesus, 600%. Yeah. That's yeah, huge growth. Yeah, it is. And they're $5.50 each. And that, so that, that money adds up when we have to buy it 90 to 120 days, 160, 180 days before we actually get an ROI on that cash. I remember the month that we got 40,000 in. And I remember like thinking, oh Jesus, like we have 10,000 square feet. We have 40,000 water bottles. We've got all these employees, all these desks, like where do we put all the water bottles? And so that's what's 40,000 times $5, like $250,000, which was was awesome. But then the very next month we had to do it again. We had to get another 40,000. And then the next month we were up to 80,000 water bottles. And it's just like, oh my gosh, this is a lot of money to outlay. So. Mm But yeah, I, I think, I think, okay, so maybe hindsight, how do I say this? I, I probably would have been a little pickier with who my original co-founding partners were. And, and after they ran away, when times got hard, mm-hmm. I probably should not have let them back in after the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth time that they would run away. I probably should have said no earlier on. Mm-hmm. but I don't, I guess I, I don't really dwell on that. I hadn't even really thought of it. Yeah. And it all turned out for the better anyways. It did. Yeah. yeah. Like it all worked out. Is that a hydroflask container? No, I don't <laughs> get discounts on them anymore. What so the? I think that's crap. Yeah, right? When I invented them back in 06, 07 and was designing them, they were the best water bottle on the planet. Hands down bar none. Nowadays, I'm not designing them anymore, and I think other brands have surpassed in the quality and the uh, fit and finish and overall design, to tell you the honest truth. I mean, there are lighter weight ones that are 
definitely better for the use that I usually use them for, but I still have the tried and true. You can't just let them go. But if I wanted to, I could resell it. No problem for make a couple bucks on it. Yeah. Which is nice to know. Yeah. I've got shipping containers full of them. I have so many hydro flasks. It's, 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 it's pretty silly. (laughs) (laughs) That's surprising that you still have them. You could go and just give them to people on the street, I guess. Yeah, (laughs) I might. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've got the OG original ones too. And and it was cool because as I left, I went in and the last thing I asked the new owner, I was like, so you don't want anything? He's like, no, you can have whatever you want in there. I'm like, okay, I want it all. So I took all of the old OG original. We've got some with bed liner on them and some with different different thises and thats and the others and some pretty cool stuff. And then also just going to the as, as many water bottle factories as I've been to over the years, I kind of have a collection of water bottles. <laughs> yeah, it's a, I guess it's a weird thing to collect unless you founded a water bottle company. Then maybe it's not so weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, if I ever make yeah. it to Bend, I'll have to make a point to look you up and come peek in your garage. Can I like yeah. just look through these boxes? <laughs> yeah, 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 the historical tour of yeah, the industry <laughs> in your house. Yeah. <laughs> That's not weird. I'll just, <laughs> just come on by. That's another way to make a little bit of money. Or you could just not yeah. make money and do it for fun. Yeah, Open it to the donations. public. Yeah, yeah, donations only. <laughs> so this is a loaded question because... You came in with a good heart with Hydroflask. You really wanted to do something better in the water bottle industry, reduce plastic. And then you have companies like Patagonia and everything that are doing things also for a lot of environmental impact in mind. However, they are still capitalist companies, right? They're for-profit companies. So do you believe that people need to choose between capitalism or environmentalism? Are they mutually exclusive? This is Courtney. Yes, yes, this is me. All of the hard questions. Oh, we just love them. We were very fortunate to have really good role models. We had Patagonia. We had Tony over at, at Zappos, rest his soul. We had some companies. We had 1% from the planet, even though mm. we consciously chose not to join them. And, and I started our own uh, 5% back, which <laughs> was X-Made. We had good role models. But yeah, it's definitely gone corp. Like they whitewashed me from the history books. They doubled the price and they halved the quality. And Mm -hmm. it's a commercial, it's a capitalistic system that we live in. And this is the the, the way it goes. And a part of me appreciates it. We put a lot of people to work and that's how capitalism goes. People, it's the 40, 40, 40 plan. You work for $40,000 a year at 40 hours and you work for 40 years and then you die. And you get a gold watch, a, a Seiko or whatever. Yeah, I, I, I got out of it because I did not want that. I did not want that on my consciousness. I didn't want to be just another CEO of a big corporation doing the corporate bullshit. Yeah. Um, and I, I just wanted to make the best water bottle and keep water bottles out, plastic water bottles out of the ocean. I, I didn't, I wasn't aspiring to make money. I wasn't aspiring to get fame and fortune and on, on podcasts, mm-hmm. but I, I just wanted to make a positive impact. I wanted to clean up my own beach, whether I was in Hawaii or St. Croix or, or on, in Iceland, wherever I was, I wanted the, it to be better. And so 
I don't know if that answered your question. It did. Yeah. And it's, they can exist in unison, but I, I do, what I get from that is it really depends on what fuels you as a person. And if that feels icky, if that feels like it's not true to the original belief of your product or the original intent of your product, then have nothing to do with it. Sell it for a bunch of money and keep a lot of the water bottles, right? And and have them in your garage. Yeah. Start a little museum, make three bucks a day and become a historian. And honestly, there's a real part of me that would be very happy being a historian in a water bottle museum, knowing that people are drinking out of metal versus plastic. And I think I would be happier being a historian than I would being a, a big corporate CEO. They, I, they, I was after Hydroflask, I was approached and coached and uh, approached some more to go that path. And I, I got a real glimpse into it and wanted nothing to do with it. And if I bring in $3 a day, I'd like, I, I could be happy with that. Yeah. I'll visit. I'll donate. That'd be cool. Thank you, Courtney. <laughs> so there are a lot of outdoor enthusiasts that I know of. The uh, outdoor community is huge. And I know that Hydroflask at least partially identifies with the outdoor community. So I pitched a question to the followers and I got a few questions to ask you from people that listen to the podcast. Oh, cool. And they're all they're really interesting questions. So what I asked is what they would ask a very successful founder of an outdoor brand. And they really delivered. I have three here for us now. And are you just ready to go through them? I'm sitting down. I'm ready. Okay. So this one, I really like, how do you think companies should slash can help prevent gatekeeping within the outdoors? Like the outdoors aren't for black people. The outdoors aren't for gay people. It's usually like the white cisgendered people. This question is great, it's timely, it's important, and I think it needed a little bit more of a deep dive here than what was said by me just now in terms of what exactly it means. And it also is, it can be pretty, even like polarizing for people. So there is this movement, and this is just me saying facts, I am not stating my opinion, but there is this movement, no geotag, And to a lot of people, that is a form of gatekeeping. And that means that if you go on a hike or you're somewhere beautiful and you post a photo or a video of that place on social media, you don't post the location of it. People say that is to preserve the area so it doesn't get overrun with tourism, for lack of a better word, and a bunch of people going there and declining the natural area. In early 2020, people were flocking to the outdoors in Washington and probably everywhere when they hadn't normally done that before. And so trails were just packed with people that were new to hiking. But then there was also just because there are more humans, there was more trash. So people equated more people that don't normally hike with trash, so that was just a bad link. But that's just because they're new hikers doesn't mean they're more dirty or like more inconsiderate with their trash. It's just more people. But that is a form of gatekeeping or elitism. There's definitely also those people who have grown up 
backpacking, grown up camping and hiking, and they feel that they have a more prominent place in the outdoors than those people that are brand new to it and want to get into it. So those people that are brand new to it, wanting to get into it can feel really overwhelmed and not know where to start because it is a, it's like a movement. Like people feel deeply for the environment and the outdoors and their passions of hiking. And I'm one of those people. I love to hike. It's a passion of mine. But understanding that there are other people that want to also enjoy this, but they feel like they are not welcome for many different reasons. They've never done it before. They feel like the outdoors are only for white cisgender people. They feel the outdoors are for people that have a dog. I don't know. It could be a lot of different things and present itself in a lot of different ways. So if you want to learn more, absolutely Google on your own. Let me tell you this story real quick. I was working with, and I think he was... Okay, so I grew up in the Virgin Islands and also in in Salem, Oregon, back and forth. So I was in a 99.9% white school growing up. And then I go down Mm -hmm. to St. Croix, where I was less than 5% other. And in the Virgin Islands, in in the U.S. Virgin Islands, in St. Croix, the people that I met, and I'm not speaking for the whole, but if you call them African-American, they would get they were not from Africa. They were from Trinidad. They were not African American. They were from Dominica. They were not African American. They're Crucian. And so we were taught at a very young age. I learned at a very young age not to call people African American because mm-hmm. it was offensive or is it offensive. I guess I have to learn how to spell in order not to learn how to speak properly. So Sometimes I get my black and African-American confused. I can't remember if this guy was black or African-American. I think he was African. He identified as African-American. Okay. So I did work with an African-American guy. And he and I were both on, I was on Instagram back in the olden days. This was a long time ago. And we were both on the same outdoor company's Instagram. I'm white. He's not. He's black. And his adverts had black people in them. Mine had white people Mm. in them. And I thought, this is bullshit. If you have to put different colored people in different... Okay, now I have a little bit better understanting of this gatekeeping. (laughs) Um, That's exactly what it is, yeah. Okay, so the question is, is how do we prevent that in outdoor brands? Fucking some aren't. And that's why I don't drink out of their water bottles anymore Mm. also, is because they're doing that kind of... I had no idea, like... I did not know that was even that. You hear me getting upset? I didn't even know this was a thing. I didn't know that companies and corporations did this. And that, that pisses me off. And so how do we not do it? I'd like to say, start a brand, an outdoor brand that doesn't do that. But then as soon as you sell and it goes corporate, fuck, they're going to do whatever they want. And Let's just hope that's not a poor reflection upon Travis, who didn't want it to be that way in the first place. And then you can always vote with your dollar. You don't yep. have to support. Bingo. Yeah. There you go. Can I just give it? Can let's just edit this all. <laughs> let's edit it all down to Courtney. We can just vote with our dollars. Vote with dollars. Yes. Only support those businesses <laughs> that are supporting outdoor enthusiasts in the way that you want to see them supported. Yeah, totally. And I also think that, yeah, boy, I got heated on that one. It's yeah. like, it's such this, it's such a good question, but it's also one yeah. that I had the same take on it when they asked it. I was like, oh my God, I never really realized that. 
but it is, it's so geared towards a certain type of person, even like able-bodied versus non, right? Yeah, it's, you right. have to be, you just have to look a certain way and it's bullshit. It's absolute mm-hmm. bullshit. With the corporation part, we see people represented in the outdoors with advertisements. We see people represented in the outdoors. When you go to an outdoor shop that sells outdoor clothing or outdoor hiking essentials, what have you, who they have in their photos, right? Like, what do those people look like? That's where we were going here is just do better. Have much wider representation of absolutely everybody in the outdoors. Absolutely everybody belongs in the outdoors if they want to. Now, if you don't want to go outside and like hike and get dirt on you, then of course, that's your prerogative. Like just don't. But if you should want to, then you should be able to pinpoint somebody that looks like you also doing it and that's welcoming you to it. And those people that don't look like you that are doing it should also be welcoming you to it. Like we should just be so welcoming and open. The outdoors are for everybody. And I, I'm especially excited about this next little bit, this drag queen in the outdoors, Patagonia. She is fire. And if you guys don't know who I'm talking about here coming up, look her up. It's, it's wonderful. There's this one wonderful person that I follow on Instagram uh, named Patty Gonia. I don't know if you know who he is. <laughs> so she goes to the outdoors in drag and <laughs> will walk out in stilettos and film it and then have a really huge backing for all of these brands. But the only way that she'll support them is if they diversify their world basically in their advertising and they do pledges and they donate money and everything to make the outdoors more accessible to everybody. Yeah. I love that. There's, I, I believe that, I guess there are some things that are not for everybody. They could be gender specific, but for the most part, I think that, yeah, I don't know. I also know that like you got as a brand, as a corporation in order to stay in business, I, I feel like I'm split on you need to know your demographics you need to know I firmly believe you need to know who they are what kind of car they drive where they shop what kind of food they eat what kind of clothes they wear where they work you need to know all of that in order to micro specifically market to them sell to them and deliver a product that meets their requirements that does not mean that you get to or should exclude everybody else Mm-hmm. in in doing that micro specific and that was another thing that upset me about an outdoor company that I'm quite intimate and familiar with is after I left because they told me if I say me then it then you know what brand I'm talking about so a friend of mine had an outdoor company and and he wanted to sell his products to everybody and the powers that be said no that's stupid you have to only go after this demographic and that demographic and everybody else needs to be cut out. My friend said, that's bullshit. And so he sold the company. He sold the company. They excluded everybody else except for those two topics. And what happened within six months, they had 30 competitors just completely tearing them apart. And rightfully, and after about eight months, they said, you know what, maybe 
Joe wasn't so wrong. We're going to go back to everybody's included. And yeah, I, I don't think discrimination. Yeah. I mean, if you don't do it right, somebody's going to do it right and they're going to do it better and they're going to make a better dollar than you. Yeah. And rightfully. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm going to dive more into this topic, like just like, ad hoc too, because this is so interesting. Okay. Let's move on to the next question. So when you were like, I guess, developing, how much did you budget to allocate yearly to research and development and why when you were starting Hydroflask or just in general with all, all your other brands? Yeah, I guess it goes back to my lack of college training and not being qualified to even really air quotes around the qualified mm-hmm. to be there, but none. I, I did not think of R and D as a budget. I don't, I don't, you know, back to not thinking in boxes. I don't think like that. I yeah. think it's a constant R and D. Every time I'm in the wild and somebody has a bottle, that's R and D and I don't have to pay for it. I just have to ask them, Hey, what do you think of that water bottle? And I don't have to say, do you like it? Do you not like it? I just ask, what do you think? And yeah instant feedback. It's free. I don't have to put money into the R&D. I think that R&D is very essential to companies and to brands, but it needs to be, what does the customer think? What does the customer want? Mm-hmm. And I, to me, that's R&D. And, it, and so what's the budget for that? Yeah, there's a budget there, but I never, I like the CFO, she probably had that because she had the schooling to teach her how to do that and so she probably would say 7.9 percent travis and i'd say okay yeah that's great Great. i have no idea what that means all i know is next time i'm at the airport and i see 15 people with water bottles i'm going to ask them what do you think of that bottle and they're going to tell me good bad and indifferent and i'm going to take that good bad and indifferent i'm going to go back and i'm going to tweak it and do better and better the titanium ones came out, I was always excited to get the titanium. And then finally yeah. they came out with the titanium ones and they priced them so far ridiculously out of bounds and come to find out there's some downsides of titanium. Like they didn't really easily and oh. they're super silly expensive and they never really came out with the bigger ones. So I don't speak for the company, but I don't know that line really took off as well as I'd always wondered if it would. So what is this? I don't know if you could tell by just looking at it, but what is that one made out of? It's 18-8 stainless steel. Oh, wow. Yeah. And a lot of it is water inherently weighs eight pounds a gallon, fresh water. I think fresh is eight and salt is 8.25 or 8.5 pounds a gallon. So you're dealing with a half a gallon. So a half a gallon, damn near a half gallon is about four pounds. And so you've got the liquid weight also. Yeah. So I kind of relate the water bottles to like RVs and motorhomes and, and fifth wheels. There's never, there's no like just perfect RV motorhome around the world adventure vehicle. Like you have a, a tow behind that's good for like the weekends. You have the sprinters that's good for expeditions, but not to live in. You've got fifth wheels that are good to live in, but they're not good to take around the world with you. Water bottles to me are the same way. You've got small ones, but you don't get as much liquid. You get big ones, but then you got the weight. And so that was another philosophy because people told me all the time, they're like the the business people Mm -hmm. that would tell me I wasn't qualified. They would say, Travis, if you offer a lifetime warranty, nobody's going to buy a second bottle. They're only going to buy one 
and they're going to just keep replacing it. And you're going to be the asshole who just keeps giving them the free ones. And, and you're going to go out of business. And, and I was like, oh, that, that sounds like it's got merit. Like it, it sounds legitimate. But then I found that not everybody wants to drink out of 40 ounces all the time. Some people want to drink out of 12 ounces because yeah. they have water source right there. But if you don't have a water source right there and you got to go way over there to get your water, then you're going to want to get a bigger one. Absolutely. And then you have your coffee cups and eight ounces and yeah, yeah definitely. And the cup holder. Are you putting the beer yeah. growlers? Uh, people who drink beer love the beer growlers. And yeah, it, it's a trade-off. It's yeah, I, I really, I don't know. I just think of like motorhomes the same way. It's like expedition vehicles. There's just no right one right all around utilitarian. Mm, yeah, that's a really good point. There isn't one size fits all. Like anytime you make a, a, a large investment, my advice is always try to talk to people who've walked in your potential shoes that you want to walk in and see what they think and, and try to really talk to them and communicate to them and hear what they're saying. Because anybody who spent a fairly good chunk of cash or change to put into an investment they're going to come out of the gate happy and exuberant and they're boastful and bragging and they're happy and look at me because they get that value, that whole mm-hmm. side of it. But once you get past that and you actually start to talk to them and hear what they're really saying, what's it really like living with a large St. Bernard dog or buying a Tesla or carrying around a 64 ounce growler? What is the actual besides the initial blush of ha this is awesome yeah it's awesome because you spent all the money it's a status symbol at some point the other thing is i always say three take the average of three and if you find that yeah always take three pieces of advice or three quotes or bids on a project and uh, if you're in a town you don't know where the museum is well, nowadays we get on our phones but ask three people because two may not know what the hell they're talking about or at least one of them may not know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good advice. I always feel bad when I give people the wrong directions when they like stop in their car and they're like, which way is the nursery, plant nursery? And I'm like, ah, I think it's south, but it's actually north. But yeah, exactly. I hope they ask more than just me. <laughs> well, see, that's a good lesson for them to learn is that Courtney is one, but you need to go find Joe and Sarah and ask them as well. Yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about. I just moved here. It's all about misdirection okay last question so how do you determine what gets outsourced to overseas versus what stays domestic did you ever do any outsourcing for your work this is a very good question there's there are a number of misbeliefs and misconceptions about the company hf that one of them is that we were made right here in bend oregon that is not true mm-hmm. ever since day one they've always been in in china and as all water bottles right now are made in china there is just now coming out another factory that's selling bottles that they're out of India, but they're not really up to speed yet. And there's some talk of American water bottle factories coming within the next couple of few years, but we pay our employees $65 an hour. They pay their employees $8 an hour. And so what gets outsourced? The, the problem is the typical average American consumer, and this is according to studies and statistics and research, and the links are in the notes down below, 
just kidding. I have no idea where they come from. But I've been told repeatedly that American consumers feel that or they state that they're willing to spend 20 to 30 percent extra on American made until they get billed 20 to 30 percent extra and then they want it the old way. They're mm-hmm. not willing to, to pay that. Unfortunately, let me put it this way. Fortunately, we were on a very good trajectory to have things made in America. Again, we were, because we used to produce in America. And, and then up until World War II, we were producing in America. And then we started to realize that we could outsource it to the impoverished nations for a hell of a lot cheaper, import it, and there's still a lot less. And so we started doing away with American manufacturing. We got our back around to it. And then January, we had a, a change of uh, administration and we went backwards away from producing in America and went right back overseas. So it's tough because like for a long time, everything was like when I was growing up, it was made in Japan, made in Taiwan, made in Mexico, made in Vietnam. And then after about what, when did China open up? The CCP, I think, opened up at like, 84. And so that means 90, 95, we started seeing stuff come out of the factories in China. They've been doing that for 95 to 21, 22, nearly. That's a long time. They've Mm -hmm. got robots, they've got factories, they've got machinery, they've got employees, they've got the workforce, they've got the housing, they've got the regulations, they've got the funding, they've got the government support. They are a manufacturing powerhouse in China. For us to catch up or to keep up or to replicate that, we are light years behind them Yeah, in, in so many ways. But manufacturing is a big one. And so it's really damn tough because I would love to have a water bottle made in Detroit, Oregon. But unfortunately, they all come from Yinkong, Jinhua, China. And they all come from, I think now there's probably, if you look on Alibaba, there's probably 200 companies that say they do water bottles. Back in the day, there was one doing metal. There was two maybe doing metal. Mm-hmm. And and still to this day, there are three, there are the top three water bottle factories. And that's where every brand that you've ever heard of are produced. The ones that you haven't wow. heard of are at number four through 225. The other big rumor is that my partner and I got divorced. She took half my money and started 50-50. Not true. It's a heck of a good rumor. I, I, I get a kick out of it. Um, in fact, I called that brand I just mentioned to ask them who owns that company because I know for damn certain <laughs> it's, it's not, not her. her. And they're like, we're not going to tell you. We can't. We don't have to tell you that. I'm just a customer, even though I didn't buy one and I didn't tell them who I was. They're like, we don't have to tell you that. I'm like all right, I'm not going to buy your water bottle. So I still don't know who owned it, but that's not the case either. So they were never made in Bend. What happened was after I left, they stopped selling to Bend companies. And that pissed a lot of people off because mm-hmm. they no longer were able to, because Hydro Flask was the bread and butter for a lot of mo- small mom and pop businesses that were struggling. 08, 09, those were rough years back in the, the great recession that mm-hmm. we had. And Hydro Flask really helped jumpstart and, and not even jumpstart, but just continuing a lot of the the smaller businesses. And to lose that account was a major blow. 
and to, to a lot of people. And they found other brands and they said, nope, we're not doing that anymore. You cut us off once, we're not going back. Yeah, because water bottles aren't really a luxury item. I wouldn't consider them a luxury item. Like you would still need a water bottle. Yeah, but at 50 bucks a pop. This water bottle. You know? Yeah, yeah. And so you start to think, okay, if they all come from the same five factories, what's, it's a $5.50 piece that's just mm-hmm. what it costs landed here in the states everything else is just markup you got marketing expenses and you have employees and you have lights to keep on it's capitalism but at the same time like why is nobody doing a, a just an awesome ten dollar water bottle and calling it a day and maybe there are people but they you just don't hear about them because they don't have the money to put into the marketing to get you to hear about them it's a catch-22 this capitalism thing Yep. Oh, it all routes back to capitalism. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but that was all of that was all of the questions that I had for you. But I would love to hear where everybody can find you. Where's all your socials? Well, I I stay pretty quiet. I am on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Travis Rossback on LinkedIn. R O S B A C H. But that's about it. Travis at Tumlo Group, T-U-M-A-L-O-G-R-O-U-P.com is, is my email. I am doing sourcing from reputable, good, strong factories. I also do a lot of advising and, and speaking mm-hmm. and just starting to get into just different stuff. Yeah. Yeah. One more question, because I actually just like really curious if you ever, I don't even know how you would measure this, but do you happen to know how many plastic water bottles Hydro Flask might have kept out of the ocean or kept off of beaches or just, uh, there is a formula, there's a formula, but I don't know it off the top of my head. I think that if you were to say one water bottle, so say if, okay, (laughs) like now my math mind's thinking like, I like to say that my goal is to drink half of my body weight per day in ounces of water. There's a monster outside my room. Can I have a glass of water? So easy numbers. Say I weigh 200 pounds. That's 100 ounces a day I should be drinking. So if you take 100 ounces and you say, okay, if I'm drinking out of plastic and they're they're like maybe 12 ounces, but again, we're using easy numbers. So we'll say 10 because it's an easier number for me to do the math. So if it's 10 ounces per plastic water bottle, I should be drinking 10 a day. That's 10 times 365 days. So that's how many water bottles, plastic, that I really should be drinking at my hypothetical 200 pounds. Does that make sense? Yeah, so that's 3,650 water bottles a year. 3,650 a year. So how many many years do I use this metal water bottle? Two, three, Mm -hmm. four, Mm -hmm. five, three, two? I've had this one for four. Yeah. Four years. So what was your number you just said? 300 or three? 3,650. 3,650 times four years equals 14,600. Okay. So you have saved, well, if you weighed 200 pounds and if this was a a real thing, you would have saved 14,600 water bottles. You're one person with one water bottle. Now, if you say, how many does that company do a month? Let's just say easy numbers, 100,000. 
I, I got an error message. That's a big ass number. <laughs> it's it's one point four six e nine. So oh wow! If you know what e means, like that's extraordinary. Extraordinary <laughs> is what e means. Yeah, it's one point four six. That's a lot. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And that's just the one brand. But again, when they excluded people, what happens is the customer loses until yeah. the other brands come on and then those other brands come on and then the customer wins again. How many knockoff brands are there? How many come along double wall vacuum insulated water bottles have come out since then? So that 40, that 100,000 a month is a hypothetical from one company. But if there's a hundred companies, let's say there's 10 companies doing the same amount, then that error message is to the 10th power. Mm-hmm. So I like to think about that kind of stuff. However, what I don't like to hear and think about is that when 2006, 2007, the idea of getting rid of the plastic in the water, the plastic water bottles, that number of plastic water bottles being produced back then is less than it is today. So we're producing more plastic water bottles today than we were back in 07, 08. That's the kind of shit that I don't like to think about. Yeah, that's awful. So it makes me think, okay, why is that? Why are we producing more plastic water bottles? Is it because of plastic? No, it's because of the content. Nobody says, oh, I want to go buy some plastic. They say, oh, I'm thirsty. I want to go buy water. How do you buy water? You got to pay for the plastic. It's I go to the gas station and or let's let's say the airport yeah. or let's I'm on the far side of the world. I don't have a metal bottle with me. I get thirsty. What does Travis do? He's got to get water. What's the best way to get water? Go to the quickie mart. How does the quickie mart sell me water in plastic? Mm-hmm. And so it, until we get over the storage of the water, we're going to have this problem. However, let's back up a minute. Let's back up a beat and say, well, what, what's happening? What's putting that plastic in the water? Well, the person, and I'm not calling them a bad person, that person was thirsty. And so they bought the plastic water that ended up being in the ocean, right? No harm, no foul to that person. They didn't more than likely throw it in the water. They more than likely put it in the garbage or in a recycle bin thinking they were doing the right thing that the magical recycle fairies were going to come and turn it into a magical (laughs) palace where everybody got to be happy and sing Kumbaya. That shit doesn't happen in real life. And traveling around and seeing it and experiencing it and learning as much as I have about it. Mm. So that's the kick I'm on now is, yeah, ocean cleanup. Absolutely. Let's do that. But also let's back up a beat and think about what, why is that plastic? Get to the root cause. Yep. You got to solve it at the root. Yeah. So that's what I'd like to um, leave you with. Yeah. No, that is (laughs) good. (laughs) That's good. Oh man, I took up like almost an hour and a half of your time, Travis, but I really appreciate your time. And I hope that you get out scuba diving soon. Now you mentioned that. Thank you. Thank you again so much. If I'm in ever in Bend, which I will be because I need to go, I'll look you up and I'll come check out your water bottle collection. (laughs) Maybe we can go get a beer. Yeah. Everybody's moving here. And yeah, now is absolutely the time. You can meet a lot of, lot of good people here now. Awesome. Thank you so much, Travis and happy new year. Yeah. Thank you, Courtney. You too. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
What a conversation. There is a lot to say on environmental and outdoor issues forever, probably. And the conversation, of course, doesn't and shouldn't end here. Travis is amazing, and I hope you like him as much as I do. And if you are moved about the plastic water bottle problem, and I mean, we should all be a little bit pissed, then there are options just to not participate. Bring a reusable water bottle with you when you travel or even when you're running errands, have one in your car filled with fresh water. It doesn't have to be hydro flask, of course, but they are widely available in many different sizes and they are really good quality. As I mentioned, I've had my one for a long time and I use it often and it's really durable. Think and take a beating and it's fine. If you want to get involved in the Seattle area with some outdoor assistance, my friend and I organize beach cleanups. So you can find us at at beach please cleanup on instagram beach b-e-a-c-h please cleanup on instagram so we go to a different beach every month and we clean up the beach and the surrounding area like if there's a playground around we will do that too and like around the logs or the rocks we one time uh, found a couch and we lugged it to the dumpster so it gets pretty wild and spicy it's a good time we go for about two hours so you can see where we are next month if you follow us. Where can you find me? I am on IG and TikTok at YNQpod. That's Y-N as in Nancy Q pod. And my email address is YNQpod at gmail.com. The website is you're not qualified podcast.com. And I like not to get sentimental, but I really wanted to just say here that I'm so happy you guys are here. I have really the most amazing supportive people in my life. I have a blast doing this and I'm really excited for the opportunity to be able to bring these really incredible people to your earbuds every week. I really hope it inspires you to just go out and do whatever the hell you want and make the world a better place while you do it. So thank you for taking this journey with me to learn and become better humans just in many capacities. Okay, so trivia before I finally sign off here and surprise, another kind of long episode, but like seriously, Travis is cool as shit. Hydroflask is a household name, so it needed a little bit of time. If you are in the PNW and you really want more sun, and that's the Pacific Northwest for people that aren't familiar with the acronym, Bend, Oregon, where Travis resides, has the highest number, highest average number of sunny days in the state and tons of craft breweries. So go to Bend, get a beer in the sun. Also has great people. Bend has great people as Travis promises. Uh, So get to Bend, everybody get to Bend. Let's just go to Bend for the rest of the winter, shall we? The rain can be quite the slog. Uh, Okay, well, I will uh, let you go. But as always, see you next Thursday. Bye.